The first thing that I want to point out is nutrition is a cornerstone. The reason nutrition is a cornerstone is that 100% of people eat. You could literally go your entire life without exercise. And in fact, 50% of Americans don't exercise. We're not saying that that's a good thing, but 50% of Americans do not exercise. And 24% of Americans are actually even meeting the daily requirements for exercise, which is, is very minimal. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because I'm in Hawaii with my family and I forgot the adapter to plug in my mic. Now, I did not forget the mic. I remembered to bring that along with the snacks and the floaties and the clothes and all the things that a mom remembers to bring on a trip to Hawaii. But I didn't realize that my adapter was not with my mic. So please excuse the AirPod audio recording today for my intro outro. And just note that the interview is going to be epic. Now, today I'm talking to one of my best friends who's changing the paradigm of medicine and who personally takes care of me, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Now, I invited Gabrielle to come onto the show to shed light on how to extend our longevity as we age, plus why maintaining muscle is necessary for fat loss, strength, and obviously amazing metabolic health. Now, I cannot tell you how much I adore Gabrielle. And I'm always so blown away by her expertise on understanding metabolic health and the science of longevity. She and I have had so many conversations around these topics for at least eight years. And to bring her on the show is just such a gift. And what you are going to learn today is really that the key is all in our muscles. Now, before Dr. Gabrielle Lyon breaks down the importance of muscle-centric medicine, and why it's the organ of longevity, strength, and great metabolic health, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon is a board-certified family physician leading a disruption in modern medicine, one that focuses on the largest organ in the body, skeletal muscle, to support longevity and to fight back against the threat of obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. With a background that includes a combined research and clinical fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences, She is a subject matter expert and educator in the practical application of protein types and levels for health, performance, aging, and disease prevention. Now, she has an upcoming book, which we're going to be talking about today, called Forever Strong, that goes live today. And it is really a new science-based strategy for aging well, which is something that I believe we are all interested in. 
Without further ado, let's bring on Gabrielle to the show. Oh my goodness. Gabrielle, girl, I am so happy to have you back on the show. You are one of my best friends. I am so proud of you. You've got this beautiful new book coming out, and we're going to talk about all the ways that we can support the women listening to this show today. Um, You are just, you are a blessing. I'll tell you what, you are changing the way that we think about medicine, and I am so grateful. Not only that you're one of my favorite people in the whole world, that I get to spend so much time with you, that our kids get to grow up together but that also that I get to watch you change the world and I get to have you here on the show. So thank you, honey. How are you? Doing great. I, you know, uh, you and I were chatting really briefly and you had asked me, what am I so excited about? And really, I'm so excited to be sitting here talking to you. You are one of my best friends, biggest supporters. We have known each other for years. Our children are near the same age and we have the opportunity to spend a ton of time together. And I'm just so grateful. Hmm. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My belly slim down guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown. And the link will be in the show notes. Mm-mm-mm. I, I love that. And I'm so grateful too. One of the things I am beyond excited about is your new book, Forever Strong. And I just want to say the title out the gate because I cannot... I cannot tell you how amazing this book is, everybody. We're going to have links up in the show notes. I'm going to have it all over social. I mean, it's a really big deal. This book is going to shift the paradigm of medicine and how we think about our bodies and how we really create epic longevity and also deal with some of the most disruptive symptoms that we're dealing with right now today. Um, But before we get into all of that, Gabrielle, honey, what I would love for you to start off with, since it's been a while since you've been on the show is kind of what was that defining moment for you? I, I know I've known you in the trenches. I know that you've been working on muscle-centric medicine for years before you brought it to the masses. But before that, before you realized that we had a pretty broken system, what was your experience within the healthcare system? And how did that transform what you're doing today? I'm really grateful for this question because there was a flash of insight. And it surprised me that I even had this flash of insight because I had been in medicine for so long when it happened. Now, I went and I did my undergraduate in human nutrition, vitamin, mineral metabolism, where I was very much indoctrinated in this way of thinking about nutrition and health. And there was this moment, and I'm going to tell you why I went into medicine, and then I'm going to tell you how I discovered the system was so broken, if this flash of insight. I was in my nutrition class and there was a tornado warning. And I was at the University of Illinois. We all went down to this fallout shelter. And I swear to you, I felt like I was there for hours. And I looked around and I realized that at the moment, the only contribution 
I could make with my current education was here, eat an apple or don't eat this processed food. And it, it really wasn't enough for me. It was at that moment I decided to go to medical school. Fast forward to medical school. I did medical school. Then I did two years of psychiatry training and then three years of family medicine, all the while thinking how we were constantly treating symptoms. I had originally come from a very holistic perspective and through the rigors of medicine, those perspectives become somewhat diminished because you still have to understand the pathology of sickness. Fast forward another two years to the time I did my fellowship. I did a fellowship in uh, geriatrics and nutritional sciences while doing research in obesity medicine. I fell in love with one of the study participants. We'll just call her Betty. She was a mom of three, postmenopausal, in her mid-50s, big brown eyes, just an infectious smile, great sense of humor. And she had been always trying to lose the same 20 pounds. Yo-yo dieting, going to Weight Watchers, taking the advice that healthcare providers had given her. The advice to move more and eat less. And what I saw when I imaged her brain was that her brain looked like the beginnings of an Alzheimer's brain. And I thought to myself, I failed her. I failed her. We failed her. The medical community had failed her. Why had we not focused on skeletal muscle? Why had we continued to focus on fat, which we are still trying to change this epidemic 50 years later while we are getting sicker, fatter, more unhealthy as a society? And it was at that moment I realized that this, the thing that all my sickest patients had in common wasn't that they were obese. It wasn't that they were over fat. It was from the patients in the geriatric home to the patients in the dementia units. It was that they all had unhealthy muscle. And one of the reasons why we struggle so much is the paradigm of execution and the paradigm of thinking about this current problem is incorrect. And this is where muscle-centric medicine was born. It's crazy to hear, you know, kind of seeing after this beautiful woman that you took care of, you know, and who had tried over and over again to, to lose this weight that ultimately led to this level of inflammation, this level of insulin resistance that was driving early signs of dementia. And we know that that, that is true that that can happen to so many of us, you know, especially, especially women, you know, where women lead, you know, 67% of Alzheimer patients are women. And it's not like we're not trying, you know, that's what I will say about my community, my ladies, we are trying, we're just not getting it right. What you're saying is true. It's that individuals are trying and it's not for lack of effort. I do want to highlight that. Uh, Betty was putting in a ton of effort. There was a ton of effort. There was a ton of time, attention, emotional resources put towards this episodic yo-yo dieting. It was, it's just for lack of shaping the conversation and then the execution of what needs to happen. And, you know, and part of the challenge is that the narrative that we're talking about, we're still talking about a narrative of obesity. Yes. The obesity epidemic. An epidemic is something that happens swiftly. It's something that you catch. This is not an issue of something that you catch. These issues like obesity begin in skeletal muscle decades earlier. These are not issues inherent to obesity. 
It is more dangerous to lose skeletal muscle mass than it is to gain body fat. I mean, arguably, there are challenges within that overt statement, but over time, it is the loss of skeletal muscle mass that will trump and really put a damper on health and wellness through aging. Let's talk a little bit about that. How do we maintain and how we gain muscle mass? I want to I want to speak into, and we can continue to speak into the problem as well, but I feel like a lot of us kind of know what's going on. And um, I know that your book really gives us a guiding path. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this over the years as well of like, where is, where is that defining moment, particularly for women where, you know, we, things are shifting. Our metabolic health is shifting. Our hormone health, is, our hormones are shifting. We, you know, I, I say that our bodies are changing without permission because in a lot of ways they are. I love that. It's true. The bodies are changing without permission. Let's take a, a step back and talk about skeletal muscle. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you were younger, you, your body is driven by hormones. It's driven by insulin and a robust amount of testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. Again, when you're very young, before you've hit puberty, that's not the case. You're largely driven by insulin. And insulin, as your listeners know, is a peptide hormone released from the pancreas that is necessary for moving blood sugar out of the bloodstream into cells. This is actually a good thing and necessary for muscle health. It helps with muscle protein synthesis. The balance between insulin and hormones and dietary influences of protein changes as you age. Fast forward to when you're in your 30s and you're no longer right growing taller. You're not growing taller. And if you're leveraging insulin, then you're growing wider, right? And, and we don't want that. We don't want to grow wider. We want to focus on, on growing up. At around 30, when you begin to see a change in hormones, you have to really dial in your nutrition and your training. This is the time, arguably in your 20s and 30s, this is the time where you make deposits into your bank. And this is your bank of skeletal muscle reserve. And the way that you ate in your 20s won't serve you going forward. This is where nutrition has to become a sole focus. And once you lay the foundation of it, hopefully you're not thinking about it endlessly, right? So you dial in a great plan and program and you're able to execute off of that. And you kind of mean, you, you stay at that, at that, like this is the plan, this, we're in, in terms of longevity or in terms of this is the lifestyle. Oh, this is what we're talking about. It's a lifestyle, lock in the lifestyle at 30, ideally maybe a little bit earlier, you know, and, and, then, and then maintain that lifestyle. We obviously with, with some tweaks and changes as we even get older, but that there's a baseline foundation. Yeah. And we can talk about the some of the mechanisms that happen as we age, or we can go right into what is a great game plan to protect skeletal muscle. You tell me what you think the listener would love. I think let's let's go into the game plan of what of what it looks like. And I know that some as a lot of ladies listening right now are past they're, they're listening, they're like, I'm not 30 anymore. Gabrielle or Marisa. And so, and, but it's important. I think it's still important to know one, that we understand that things are shifting as early as our thirties, metabolically and hormone wise, and that we can continue to talk into our forties and fifties. And you and I, we're in our forties. So, you know, and, and we built this foundation in our thirties. You probably built it earlier than I did, to be honest, but we are pretty locked and loaded. You and I in our forties. And if anyone, if you're not following Gabrielle on Instagram, then go follow her because you'll see that she's living. And ignore the ridiculous reels that I have to do. 
you entertain everybody, but still that's okay. I think they're great. And a lot of them of you literally like working out to strength training, resistance training, lifting heavy things to maintain that muscle mass. It's not to build that muscle mass, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about what does it look like to build that foundation so that we maintain that insulin sink, that we maintain that muscle so that we are basically my intention for all of my ladies is to reverse their biological age. That's what I'm interested in. How do we get to live as long as possible and feel as good as possible in those years? It it can totally be done. The first thing that I want to point out is nutrition is a cornerstone. The reason nutrition is a cornerstone is that 100% of people eat. You could literally go your entire life without exercise. And in fact, 50% of Americans don't exercise. We're not saying that that's a good thing, but 50% of Americans do not exercise and 24% of Americans are actually even meeting the daily requirements for exercise, which is, is very minimal. Now, when we think about resistance training, exercise is probably a bigger lever for maintaining skeletal muscle mass, but that is more challenging. It is more challenging to identify. It is more challenging to identify if you are being effective at it, et cetera. But by getting the foundation of nutrition right, you are grabbing the lowest hanging fruit and moving forward with a plan that can be executed and a plan that can and has been shown to protect skeletal muscle mass as you age. First and foremost, dietary protein is critical. There's a lot of controversy out there about dietary protein, but there is 30 years of research backing the importance of high quality protein on body composition, meaning it maintains lean body mass. Lean body mass includes skeletal muscle. It also includes bone. Bone health is really important for uh, women, especially as they go through menopause. It maintains the integrity of the liver. It maintains the integrity of the intestines, all the other organs. When you eat for skeletal muscle health, you nail all the other things. You target skeletal muscle health, and then you nail all the other things. So we talk about protein as a generic term. We say, get your dietary protein in. I recommend, and this for the listener to take away, 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. You're probably calculating in your head if you are 130 pounds, that's 130 grams of protein. That might be a lot for people. So you could start at 0.7 grams per pound ideal body weight doesn't have to be as high as one gram. I can understand where that would be a bit intimidating. It's important to note that when we talk about protein, we're actually talking about 20 different individual nutrients, not just one thing. And each of those individual amino acids, which should be classified as nutrients, have diverse, unique, and specific biological roles. For example... Leucine is an essential amino acid that you must get from the diet, and this stimulates muscle. Threonine is a essential amino acid that you must get for mucin production in gut lining. Tryptophan is important for serotonin production. Phenylalanine is important for dopamine production. Arginine is important for nitric oxide. You don't have to memorize what those things mean, but I mention it to highlight the fact that you are eating dietary protein for so much more than just skeletal muscle, for all these other biological processes, for mood, for energy, 
things to support you through aging, to support you through menopause. How do we then think about, well, I guess number one, we have to ask what is a high quality protein? High quality proteins are purely biologically driven numbers. It's not, there's no emotion tied to it. High quality proteins are considered, for example, whey protein, eggs, fish, beef, chicken, turkey, dairy. Low quality proteins, again, the definition is based on the individual amino acids. Or the quantity that you're going to get of those amino acids. So if you're not getting a full spectrum of those, that would consider a low quality protein. Yes, exactly. The plant-based proteins like soy or wheat or rice or pea blend type proteins or quinoa, these are what we considered low biologically available proteins. You know, I use this analogy all the time. Um, to equal one small chicken breast, you would have to eat six cups of quinoa. When you look at the back of a food label, you see just the number for protein, and that's any nitrogen-containing compound. And it is a bit misleading because it's not that we need the overall protein. We need those specific amino acids to target specific things. I know that's a lot of science, so we're going to jump to what can the listener or viewer do exactly to follow a plan to maintain or improve body composition, especially through menopause. I cover this all in my book. There are three different tracks. The first track is longevity. The second track is weight loss. I think that we'll talk about that one because you know when women go through menopause, it is the time that we do see a change in body composition more rapidly than any other time in a woman's life. And then finally, the last track in the book is a book on muscle hypertrophy. No, ladies, you are not going to get buff from training, right? It is really impossible. Um, Marisa and I joke, we train all the time. And it's very hard to get jacked, right? Marisa, you've been training for years. It's like impossible. It is. It's, it's, I would say it's impossible. I mean, you have to be so intentional and you have to eat a very specific way. And I mean, you, it's got to be, I would say that it's got to be a big part of your life to build that level of muscle. This isn't a, this isn't a 45 minute resistance training workout that we're talking about. These are people who are training two to three hours a day, you know, and, and are doing a lot of things in order to build that kind of muscle. Yeah. Over time. I think it's, it's really important to understand that this is absolutely over time. Now, the first important meal, the most important meal, you ready for this? The data has all been done to my knowledge at this time on that first meal, when you are coming out of an overnight fast. And I think it's really important to point out that that first meal of the day is your most important because your muscle is primed. Now, muscle is really interesting. Skeletal muscle is a nutrient sensing organ. It senses the quality of the diet. Typically, we think about skeletal muscle from its mechanical benefits. You've obviously been listening to Dr. Marisa and you've heard its biochemical benefits as it relates to fatty acid oxidation and glucose disposal. But it also is very interesting in the fact that it plays a role in sensing the quality of the diet. This very specific aspect is something that you have direct control over. Here's how you do it by hitting a minimum of 30 grams of dietary protein, that's actually at a minimum for that first meal of the day, upwards of say 50 grams. And that could be done through two scoops of a whey protein shake. 
It could be done through one whey protein shake and a few eggs. It could be a whey protein shake and Greek yogurt. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be executed. When you hit between 30 and 50 grams at that first meal, a few things happen. Number one, you stimulate a process in skeletal muscle called muscle protein synthesis. Now that is actually somewhat of a biomarker for muscle health. It is. It takes the incorporation, it's a physiological process that incorporates amino acids into tissue. And it is believed that over time, when you hit that number and you trigger this process, that you protect muscle. You protect muscle. When you protect muscle, you protect other lean body mass, including bone. Really important. Very simple. Something else that is really important for women in menopause is the appetite regulation influence of dietary protein. And that means protein changes, dietary protein changes ingestive behavior mechanisms. And there are some really interesting studies by Doug Patton Jones, the former Doug Patton Jones and Heather Leidy. Uh, They came out, there's a great paper. I think it came out in 2014. And what it shows is it shows variation in protein dosing. For example, some women will eat 15 grams of dietary protein. So they did a study where it was 15, 20 grams of protein and 30 grams of protein. What it showed was at lower levels of dietary protein, it did not have the same brain effect of creating this neural response to food. Meaning at the next meal, people that had lower protein were more likely to reach for things outside of their nutrition plan whether it was that donut or whether it was going to the cake and candy, it was something other than their nutrition plan, which is so fascinating. So it was for the the nerds out there, it was the select corticolympic internal response system. So it, it changed this corticolympic system. The other important aspect is the satiety hormones, which I know that we're going to mention, in particular, something called PYY and GLP-1. GLP-1 is all the rage now. A GLP-1 agonist, also known as Ozempic, that people are using for increased satiation. Dietary protein, when hit at a robust response at 30 grams per meal, has been shown to increase GLP-1 as well as PYY. Why do you care about that, my friends who are listening? Because you are going to be much less likely to be hungry and to be craving. So this gut hormone response modulates your feelings of hunger, which is amazing. What's really important is that the research is very clear that it's now moving into a dose response of dietary protein. What I've told you is that I care about you hitting that 30 gram meal response because I care about you stimulating muscle. What I've also just told you is that I care about you hitting that minimum 30 gram response because it's going to trigger responses in your brain as well as gut hormones, all very critical. Another thing that really matters about dietary protein when you are going through menopause is that when carbohydrates are controlled, you will maintain steady blood sugar levels. You don't need to have an increase in cortisol every time your blood sugar drops. You need to maintain steady levels of glucose throughout the day. And then of course, when you're sleeping, You're already dealing with hot flashes. You do not need to be waking up in the middle of the night hungry 
because your blood sugar has dropped because of suboptimal balancing of macronutrients. That's really important to understand. So to wrap this into a bow, here is what you've heard. 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. How you're going to know your ideal body weight, pick a time where you felt amazing, where you feel amazing in your skin, where you feel great. This is the target that you are going to shoot for. Next, you are going to design a meal plan where that first meal is between 30 and 50 grams of dietary protein. And the last meal of the day is also very important because you are now also going to an overnight fast. This is also for women, you know, I swear, I've seen this over and over again. This is also the time where women start to have cravings, whether it's drinking too much alcohol at night or um, just having that glass of wine and cheese or going out of their nutrition plan by augmenting willpower, by leveraging dietary protein later in the evening is also really important. Arguably that middle meal uh, doesn't matter as much because the only reason that that middle meal matters is for you to get your protein in. But from a muscle protein synthetic response, it doesn't totally matter. And I think that that's important to know that if people only want to drink or only want to drink, don't be drinking. If people only want to be eating uh, a handful of meals, the way to do that would be really nailing that first and last meal. Okay. All right. So book. So I know you did such a great job of summarizing that as well, but basically we want to bookend our day with high quality protein sources and anywhere between 30 to 50 grams of protein. Again, also based on your ideal weight, right? That lean body mass. And so that's the thing that we're, we're looking for to bookend. And then whatever you're not able to hit for breakfast and dinner, you want to make sure you're hitting at lunch to kind of making sure that you're hitting that, that full amount. So like, for instance, if, if it's 110 grams of protein, that is, that, that is your ideal kind of protein amount for that day, you hit your 40, 40, right? That's 80. And then you're going to want to hit 30 at lunch, basically. I think it's a, a great way to think about it. And it's something that's easy to do. And it takes also the pressure off. If you start slow and you're saying, hey, this is a lot for me to ramp up. If you start with that first and last meal of the day, number one, you're protecting skeletal muscle as you age. And I think that people that are going through menopause, they see changes in body composition. This is when, again, you lose muscle. And redistribution. Like all of a sudden, fat's moving, girl. Yeah. <laughs> hard pass, hard pass on that. Yes. And, you know, potentially it's it's kind of this out of balance. I don't want to say out of balance, but the ratio between testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone changes. And yes, that definitely can cause a redistribution of body fat. So for the listener or the viewer, nailing that first and last meal of the day, get that right. Nail that, get that right. And the next thing I think that we should talk about is how do we manage carbohydrates? What are the thought process behind carbohydrates? I do not inherently think carbohydrates are bad at all. I've always known that about. And uh, again, this idea, and this is why I wrote Forever Strong, because it's, it's conceptually, how do we take core principles and move them into a natural pattern of being where individuals understand that who they are today and the actions that they take today is who, that's what the future is. It's, it's who you ultimately become. Within that being said, it cannot be chaotic and it shouldn't be confusing. It should be a no-brainer. It should be easy to implement. So the other aspect of the carbohydrate influence is if you are starting on a weight loss plan, 
and again, I outline this in the book, a one-to-one ratio of protein to carbohydrate is great. The average American eats 300 grams of carbohydrates a day. That is double the RDA, which is a recommended dietary allowance. There's obviously a lot of flexibility in that government recommendation. A number, we can all argue, is it right, is it wrong? But I think that the proof is in the, the pudding, as they say. Uh, the majority of us are largely over-consuming carbohydrates for what our body needs. Again, putting it in a proper ratio and not massively restricting yourself all at once. We know when an individual does that, the recidivism rate, the the relapse rate of weight gain. And that's what happened to Betty is she would go on these really strict diets that she wasn't able to maintain that was so far outside of her behaviors and understanding that she would go back to eating because she would get frustrated or I'm not losing weight. Everything is the same. This is not what we want, my friends. This is not what we want. Carbohydrate disposal for someone who is not exercising, is it a is about 50 grams over two hours. So you do not want to eat a carbohydrate load over 50 grams if you are not exercising. And this number is just comes from the calculation of disposal. What is being disposed in liver? What is being disposed in muscle? What is being disposed in brain? Roughly, you can dispose of 50 grams of carbohydrates. Again, that's a robust number. You can shoot between 30 and 40, probably if you're starting out. I typically recommend if someone is going to try to go low carb, still keep it at 100 grams. You don't need to uh, fall off the wagon and you just do an easy, steady distribution of carbohydrates. And that becomes important because anything outside of that is earned. I love knowing you say that. And what that really means is that we need to be utilizing those carbs. We need to be moving our body. We need to be resistance training. We need to make sure that we're utilizing those. Yeah. And if this is what's so amazing about skeletal muscle is the pinnacle. Number one, I mentioned that skeletal muscle is the site for obesity, even PCOS. I know you have a lot of people that listen that have had PCOS. These are diseases that have a huge skeletal muscle influence. I would even go as so far to say that a large majority of PCOS is a skeletal muscle issue first. There are skeletal muscle defects and there are some really pivotal studies just in general, DeFranzo, just amazing hallmark studies that looked at skeletal muscle as a primary deficit, primary deficit defect. And part of it is insulin resistance in skeletal muscle. I think that it's safe to say that part of it is the changes in the quality of the tissue that begin decades earlier we're talking about so early because a lot of diagnosis, yeah. Easily. There are some, some again, another hallmark study came out out of Yale where they looked at 18-year-old sedentary college students with no outside signs of visceral, of um, subcutaneous fat or any kind. They were lean subjects. They were lean subjects that showed simply the act of being sedentary creates an environment of insulin resistance in skeletal muscle. What does that mean? That means when skeletal muscle is insulin resistant, you will see a subsequent rise in blood sugar. We know how detrimental that can be. The definition of diabetes uh, can be seen with over two hours of still having a certain elevation in blood glucose. Insulin resistance and is a precursor for diabetes, obesity, Obesity rides along with the risk factor for cancer and other metabolic diseases. Uh, infertility, 
We know that there are challenges with issues with weight and infertility. Again, it's not out there. It's within skeletal muscle, directly something that you can leverage. And there's something else I, I wanted to point out about this idea of exercise. We're all told that exercise is good for us. My job is to convince you of the absolute necessity of taking care of this organ system. It is above and beyond physiological and metabolic functions. It plays a role as an endocrine organ. When you contract skeletal muscle, skeletal muscle releases myokines. Myokines are hormones that travel throughout the body that interface locally as well as systemically. It can enhance mood. It can help brain function. Interleukin-6 is probably the most famous myokine. And you're asking why I'm talking about this is because as individuals age, as people go through menopause, as body composition changes, we see low levels of inflammation. Low levels of inflammation create a whole host of issues. Skeletal muscle, interleukin-6 released from skeletal muscle has a different impact than the interleukins that you would think of released from cells of the immune system that cause a cytokine storm. You can leverage contracting skeletal muscle to mitigate significant inflammation and immune responses. You want to hear something else that's really cool? Skeletal muscle releases glutamine. And glutamine is what we would consider a non-essential amino acid. It's released from exercising skeletal muscle. Glutamine is the fuel for cells of the immune system. And that is another interface between immune health and muscle. It's, it's all just so fascinating. What happens is over time, if you do not protect skeletal muscle with food and do resistance training, then there is a natural decline that is believed to happen over time. And that's what we're seeing in terms of metabolic disease, metabolic dysfunction. We are. We are seeing... And just another thing that I'll point out is the causes of death on the CDC. If you look at the, the CDC's causes of death, this is really fascinating. You'll see heart disease. You'll see cancer. You'll see kidney disease. You'll see accidental deaths. You'll see diabetes. Nearly the top eight or nine all relate to skeletal muscle health and arguably body composition, yet it's not listed. And again, how do we take control back, shift the focus back to skeletal muscle as the pinnacle? And the great news is it's the one organ system that you can directly think about and do something about. You literally can contract skeletal muscle, which makes up 40% of the body, to release, again, through exercise, release myokines, release glutamine, move glucose out of the bloodstream, which by the way, Exercising skeletal muscle does not require insulin. And one bout of exercise will improve insulin sensitivity anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. It's incredible. Well, let's talk about exercise. Because um, as you mentioned, when we first got started, is that the cornerstone is nutrition. It's the one thing we really can dial. You know, we, it doesn't have to be as confusing as everyone makes it. But exercise can be hard to measure as you had mentioned earlier. And so talk to me about, you know, in the research and what you've seen with your patients, you know, where should we start? What should we aim for? If, if you know, if we are in our 30s, 40s, or 50s. It's really, now, number one, there's two, there's two 
three major components of exercise. There's resistance training, there's cardiovascular training, and there's a high intensity kind of hybrid training. As women go through menopause, in my opinion, the two most important aspects of training are going to be resistance exercise and adding in a high intensity interval training. And that could easily be something 30 minutes throughout the whole week. You could break it up. You could break it to uh, 10 minutes, three times a week. Again, that's it. It doesn't have to be crazy. From a resistance training standpoint, again, we're going for a metabolic adaptation. There are multiple ways to get that adaptation. If you are a new exerciser, you could start with body weight. Again, resistance is moving against a force with the goal of creating a skeletal muscle adaptation to maintain the health of skeletal muscle, which the health of skeletal muscle is maintained through this flux, through glycogen flux, through the utilization of nutrients, rather than it being like an overstuffed suitcase that just sits there. And that becomes important because I didn't necessarily mention what happens to unhealthy skeletal muscle and why does it become unhealthy. A sedentary lifestyle decreases the flux of utilization and uh, the cells become senescent over time. Uh, Mitochondria becomes dysfunctional, doesn't go through these process of biogenesis and renewal. So when you are thinking about, as you're going through menopause, how you are going to spend your time I would start with three days a week of resistance training. And you can hit every, you can do 10 sets per muscle group over the week, which is not that much. 10 sets per muscle group over the week. You could do one full body day. You could do an upper body day and then a lower body day. I outline, actually, I put in my book um, a beginner and intermediate training program. And also, Marisa, I could never be a fitness influencer because I shot about a hundred videos. I know for a fact I could never be a fitness influencer. It was, it was, I shot it with Kara, who you know, and it was just so kudos to all you fitness influencers. Your job is much harder than mine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I love working out. I have been doing it since I was 17 years old. But the idea of having to get all that recorded all the time just feels exhausting to think about. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. It was, uh, Pretty impressive. So that's like a, that's a part of, they can go to a link inside of the book and see some of the videos of those workouts. It's amazing. I love it. You can go to my website. I, I think that they're available. The good news is it's never too late. We have seen data. There's uh, multiple. Good. I want to hear that one more time. It is never too late. So I'm looking at a, uh, a meta-analysis right now. And this was a effect of resistance training on muscle size and strength in very elderly adults, a systematic review and meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials. And ultimately, it is never too late. This is 75-year-old and above, and that individuals can increase muscle strength and muscle size by being involved in a resistance training plan. Even the oldest individuals can get better. This is incredible. We have direct control over the plasticity of a organ system. Last time I checked, I cannot think my liver healthier or exercise it, but skeletal muscle, again, there is a mind-muscle connection that when you understand the deep importance of this tissue, you can actually go out and do something about it. So three days a week of resistance training, Again, you can increase it, but just start there. And then one 30-minute, it could be one 30-minute session, or it could be three sessions of 10 minutes 
interval style training, add it in. You can add it into your workout. You can even incorporate it into your resistance training. You could start with bands. You can move from bands. You can start with body weight. You can move to bands. Then you can move to free weights. Well, I think one of the things that you really love that there's some really amazing research in is sprint training. Can you talk a little bit about sprint training as well? First, it's important that I want to mention that sprint training, we think about sprint training as, as a running mechanism. It's Some people really can get injured. It is. It, so I, I will mention that if you are not a runner or are not capable to be sprinting, just based on the stride length. I know for me, I've torn a hamstring, sprinting. The way I sprint is I will do it on an airdyne. So we're talking about a sprint interval training, which is above 90% VO2 max. And that is different than, say, sprinting on the street. That is very difficult, especially if you have extra load that you're carrying. Sprinting can be really challenging. I will say, though, the sprint action in and of itself is a very dynamic movement, and it's incredible. So if you can do it, amazing. But what Marisa, Dr. Marisa is talking about is this all-out effort, which, by the way, you cannot maintain very long. I mean, you're looking at maybe four minutes a week. You could, you could literally totally tax yourself in four minutes if you are working at 90% your VO2 max, and you cannot do it continuously. At least I cannot. But it's a game changer in terms of you know optimizing metabolic health, optimizing insulin sensitivity, and helping to, helping to build muscle or helping to maintain that integrity. So I just wanted to just throw it out there. You're absolutely right. And it is, and especially because women in midlife, we don't have a ton of time. We don't have time. And that is, and I think that that's probably the biggest pushback. Marisa and I are laughing, right? We have little kids, just like a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's true. We laugh because we've known each other for years, right? We've like been pregnant together. It's just, wow. I don't even, I don't even know. You should see me trying to get out the door this morning with both kids because Shane is working 100 hours. He's out of the house by five at the latest. It's insane. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And by the way, your son is is so easygoing and like amazing. My kid, I'm trying to get him to not pee on the wall and beat up his sister. And one is a contained and then the other one is a, a maniac. And all you moms listening, I know you can relate. And again, my workout was supposed to be this morning. It didn't happen. I have three 15-minute breaks today. You better believe that as soon as this interview is over, I'm going to put my hair in a, a ponytail and I'm going to go hit that Airdyne at max capacity. Airdyne is like an assault bike. I will probably be able to put an all-out effort for 20 seconds. And then the next 40 seconds, I'll just have to be catching up. And then I'll hit it again. And I'll probably do that. I'll probably be gassed after five minutes. And then I'll do some kettlebell swings and some push-ups and some body weight exercises just because I need to fit it in. Now, I will say the other aspect of training is that people will say, I do yoga and Pilates. Isn't that enough? It's a great place to start. I would challenge you to move outside of the comfort zone of the classes while amazing to move towards more free weights. And I'm going to give you my thinking as a mother. The reason is, you have to be able to practice functional movement outside of the time that you need them. You have to be able to practice functional movement outside of the moments that you need them. What do I mean by functional movement? It means being able to pick up heavy things and carry it, being able to push that heavy things overhead, being able to squat down with a kettlebell that is front loaded. What does that infer? It infers if I need to pick up my child 
and I need to take up and, and run somewhere or move my child out of danger. The last thing that I want to be is the weak link to have the inability to do that. And I know that that's slightly morbid, but again, we live in a physical environment. We interface with the world. We have to be able to be strong and physically capable. I will also say I've never had someone regret being strong. I've never heard someone say, you know, I, I just, I really regret that I'm so strong and so capable. And these are trained by the actions that you take. And the handful of actions that I recommend to all my moms are a kettlebell carry, uh, offset kettlebell carry or a farmer's carry. It could be a dumbbell in each hand. Walk up and down the gym. It could be go on Amazon and purchase a kettlebell. You could be walking with a kettlebell. You should be able to swing that kettlebell and press it overhead. Let's say you need to pick or boost somebody up in case of an emergency. Whatever it is, these are translatable skills. You will never regret being strong. And so if you are not motivated to train for yourself, be motivated to train for a useful body in times of emergency. Yeah, I was thinking about yesterday, our flight. I'm in Hawaii right now as we're recording this. And I had a car seat. I had a toddler who always wants to be carried by his mama. And I had three bags and a backpack. And I was navigating all of this. And I, you know, I was so grateful that I I trained all the time. And, you know, I trained for these moments that I'm able to maneuver all these items and my son, you know, to to get all this stuff checked. But I, I if I had not had the strength to do so, I, I would have been, I would have been in a pretty difficult spot yesterday. And so it's 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 nothing that I take for granted by any means, but it's something that I know that I, especially any moms, any grandmas out there, like we want to be able to, I mean, that's one of my biggest whys is to be able to take grab and pick up Kingston at any given moment, to be able to run with him in any given moment, to be able to play with him and like not debate whether I have the ability to do so or not. You don't want to question your capacity at the times that you need it. And it doesn't, just as you've identified and shown us, it doesn't have to be in a time of emergency. No, just life. It's life. And in life, you know, we train for life and it's important because we live in an environment that is very domesticated. We are not designed to be domesticated. We do have to push back against that and it takes action and it, it takes intention. And that's why I really say that who we are today and the actions that we take today show us who we will be in the future. And again, I'm a scientist. I'm an individual who treats patients. And I know that by doing the thing in the moment, whether it is comfortable or not, allows for freedom in the future. Thank you for sharing that. And it's so powerful. I think that really connects to all of us and what matters to us and our why. I want to just pivot a little bit. I know we're, we're getting close and we're going to be talking about the book in just a second, but I want to pivot because I know that there are a lot of women who are in their mid to late forties or maybe their fifties and they are stuck. They have been trying to lose weight and potentially not prioritizing protein. I, I really can't speak to that particularly, but I know that they're working out. I know that they're trying and they're stuck. Are there recommendations for, for women that you've seen who have been trying to lose weight, especially who are very overweight? Um, you know, Would you recommend a GLP-1 agonist to help them kind of kickstart while developing that lifestyle? I would. Right now, again, I think that there's a lot of negative press in 
the influencer space about trizepatide, which is also Mongerno. And then there's semaglutide, which is Ozempic. These are once weekly injectable medications that have been around for a very long time, typically treated. Uh, it was individuals who were type 2 diabetics that is now being used for weight loss. It gets a lot of negative press. I think that it is undue. I have never seen any medication be more effective. There's trizepatide, which is a dual agonist. And then there's semaglutide, which is, or ozempic, which is a GLP-1 agonist. I do believe in their effectiveness. I do, and I use it in clinical practice. I've seen it take away cravings. I've seen it address binge eating. I've seen it improve body composition, especially when they are using the Forever Strong program because they are maintaining skeletal muscle mass and exercising. You know, it improves insulin sensitivity. It can even increase insulin release. I have seen there's some data to support that some of these agents can brown white fat, making um, uh, fat more metabolically active. It definitely affects hunger. It affects the gastric emptying. And again, you hear that all of these things are negative, but the reality is it's not negative. They're do, It's doing exactly what it has been meant to do. And I will say that the weight loss challenges any kind of gastric surgery. You might see a 13% weight loss with semaglutide versus Mongerno. Typically, you see a greater weight loss and it's you know it could be up to 22% and it's more well-tolerated. I think that there's a lot of room for use of these. And again, you hear people talk about that you have to be on it forever. I have taken many patients off of it many, many, many patients off with great success. And I don't know to this day of a mechanism of action that it negatively influences skeletal muscle health. I think it's much more detrimental to go through life and struggle both mentally and physically with obesity or being overweight. And there's absolutely no shame in using Western medicine. That's what Western medicine is for. It is to improve the quality of life. And so when we use Western medicine modalities to improve quality of life, I've seen it absolutely transform individuals and it transforms the trajectory of aging. Really, really um, important. Yeah, I think what I've been most impressed with is the neuroprotective benefits as well that I've, I've looked into and the cardiovascular protective benefits. If it's, if it's the number one killer for women, men and women, but women you know, whatever we can do to walk back that risk to me, especially if you're carrying excess weight, especially if you are stuck, like you, you are trying so hard and the needle isn't moving, whether if you know, you have inflammatory fat or whatever could be going on there to get that kickstart to me, it, it can be, it's game changing. It's game changing. And the other aspect I'll, I will say is people will say, well, isn't it doesn't have side effects. Is there a risk of cancer? There is a black box warning for thyroid cancer. I would say looking into the research, uh, I personally believe it's incidental. And I think there's a lot of physicians that believe it's an incidental finding, meaning they survey a certain amount of people and they see this over time. I know other physicians that's, that endocrinologists that have been using it for over a decade and, and they've never seen any kind of, of cancer, thyroid cancer, and they've been using it routinely. The other thing that I will say is that Ozempic seems to have more significant side effects than Mongerno. I have switched most of my patients to Mongerno. It is much easier to tolerate. 
than semaglutide. You have to make sure that you stay well hydrated. And again, the dual agonist seems to mitigate some of the the effects of kind of the nausea. Uh, again, it can make people very nauseous. Yeah, I would say the nausea is probably the biggest side effect that people are experiencing of the side effects that I've seen. Um, I don't know if that's been in your experience, Gabrielle. It is. And the way around that is to just simply uh, reduce the starting dose in half. You reduce the starting dose in half, you titrate very slowly. And again, you titrate up until you lose the weight that you want. The other aspect of this is also, I have found that those that are not prioritizing sleep seem to be a bit more weight loss resistant. Which I think is true no matter what. (laughs) But there's a very interesting influence on muscle protein synthesis on one night of sleep restriction. It can reduce muscle protein synthetic response by 18%. And again, the immediate response doesn't matter. It's behaviors over time. I suggest that if you need hormone replacement and you are a candidate, that that can really help you sleep, mitigate hot flashes, adding in progesterone, which I know Dr. Marisa has talked so much about. There's a a lot of ways to garner benefit, but I am all for the combination uh, GLP-1 and GIP-1 agonists. I I think that um, the messaging out there is really doing people a disservice. You know, I was talking to Dr. Tina Moore a couple of weeks ago on utilizing it and and seeing the, the really incredible benefits of people just on it for 90 days or, or until they lose the weight. But then also it can be cycled. You know, you can come off for a while and then come back on. I mean, you know, let's talk about it from a longevity standpoint. Yeah, I think that they're going to be using it at much lower doses for longevity. And, and Tina's a, a friend of mine and we've talked about it before. And yes, I think that there will be a period of time. We're not there yet. But again, I think as the heat from it calms down, it will be used similarly how people thought of metformin, which with these new agonists, I don't think that there's really any use for metformin at this time. I I think that there's other options. But I do think over time, utilizing a trizepatide or semaglutide is going to be phenomenal. Thanks, Penny, for sharing that. Okay, let's 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 talk about the book. I know the book is it's coming out literally coming out today. This is released the day that the book is going out. Are you for the best? Am I so lucky to have such great best friends? By the way, you guys have to understand it's not that I asked Marisa uh, to do it. As any person who goes through a book launch, you literally are underwater. You just have to hope that your friends show up and support you. And I'm just I'm so grateful you've been with me on this journey from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I remember the proposal. Yes. Even before the proposal, obviously. <laughs> and people thought, I, you know, I really feel that muscle is having a moment now because I have been talking about this and people looked at me crazy. I was joking with the Mind Body Green people, um, which Colleen and Jason, they're friends now, but initially their team wouldn't even look at me because I was promoting high quality protein and certain kinds of training. And, and now everything is come full circle. And it's amazing. It's having a moment. Muscle is having a moment. It is. It is your tenacity, girl. And I think people are really connecting the dots and they're seeing the research. And goodness knows, obviously what we're doing right now isn't working. It's not working. It's blatantly, glaringly not working. I mean, when we have 30% of our teenagers pre-diabetic, something has to change. Absolutely. Okay, so the book. So Forever Strong, 
And again, we talked about that it's gonna, there's a longevity piece, there is a weight loss piece, and then there is how do we ensure that we do not muscle waste? Like how do we maintain that muscle mass? Because here's the deal. I know that Gabrielle hadn't mentioned it. I think she, you have, but the, the real truth of it is that we are going to lose it. We're just going to lose it. It's going to happen unless you actively do everything in your power to maintain it and to build it. That's the deal. And so that's a lot of what this book is going to talk about too. So it's a blueprint. It's really, it's a, it's an evidence-based blueprint that will mitigate any noise. This book is a handbook for anybody. And I have to say, it's very easy to read. Uh, I talked a lot of heavy science, but the book is for someone who has no knowledge about nutrition, who wants to be able to pick this up and give this to their mom, who wants to be able to pick this book up and give it to someone that they love so that they can get benefit and garner benefit. This is a very easy read. And what I love so much about it is the timing of this book coming out. It's coming out right before the holiday season. And so not only do I want you to go and grab your copy, because if you have found yourself stuck, if you have found yourself concerned about your longevity, about you know, and mitigating any type of risk that that may be coming down the line because you've just gotten your labs over the last year, you know, it's a big thing that I both Gabrielle and I recommend is knowing your numbers. If you're seeing these things kind of play out already, early signs this is the type of book that you absolutely need to start making those changes. And as we talked about today, today is the day. Like there is never a bad time to start. It's never too late to do so. But then there are family members. There are sisters and brothers and best friends and people in your life that are also where you're at, or maybe they're even worse, right? You may even be the healthiest person that you know. And so this is going to be the time if there's a book to give somebody that's going to change their life, it's going to be forever strong. So I want you to consider getting more than one copy. So I'm going to have the link in the show notes. Um, is there anything else, Gabrielle, anywhere else you want us to connect and find you? Yeah, I have a great podcast called the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. I talk all about this stuff. Um, also very active on Instagram and Facebook. And I have a YouTube channel where I do a lot of education and a free newsletter where people can sign up and I provide evidence-based information, what's coming hot, what anything that they could potentially need or want. And uh, also a recipe newsletter, which I would love to collaborate with you on, Marisa. We could do a 30 Gs of how and where to get the protein. That would be amazing. Okay, I will have all of those links in the show notes, but most importantly, the link to the book is gonna be there. So I want you to go and grab your copy. I have already read so much of it already. And it's phenomenal. And I just, I can't wait. It's available right now. Go and get it. Gabrielle, honey, thank you so much for coming on. I love you so much. And I'm just so proud of what you've created and how you are transforming our health in such a beautiful and powerful way. Thank you so much. And I love you too. I can't wait to see you soon. Me too. (laughs) Bye. Talk about dispelling myths around muscle and protein. I know that there's so much misunderstanding when it comes to our bodies, especially about our muscles and how much protein intake we really need to thrive for many, many years to come. And that's why I'm so happy that there are doctors out there like Gabrielle who are shifting the way that we think about medicine and who is really focused on us living our best life for as long as possible. Now, what I love about Dr. Lyon, one of my besties, is that she brings unparalleled results to her patients with personalized advanced nutritional interventions, metabolic and genetic testing, and behavioral action plans that leave no stone unturned. And I know this to be true because I am one of her patients, and I'm so grateful to get to be that. Now, in her new book, Forever Strong, she's going to 
basically lay out a blueprint for what she's been doing for over a decade for helping you to become forever strong. Now, this book is a must read just to even shift the way that you think about healthcare and the way that you think about your own health. And I also recommend if there is someone in your life who needs this book, which gosh, I can think of many, definitely give it to someone else. Now I'm going to have the link in the show notes for her book bonus page for forever strong. And I'm going to have her website and her IG handle. Let me tell you, do not sleep on this book. It is going to transform the way that you think about your health and how you live moving forward. Again, it is always a pleasure to have you here on the show, listening to Energized with Dr. Marisa. If you learned something in this episode that felt like a big aha moment, please subscribe to the show and take a moment and rate the show. You don't even need to leave a review. Just rate the show. That way, women who are looking for this type of information about how to transform their health and how to own their health, then this will be a much easier path to get there. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 